Uh, but the question that was sent by Matthew, oh, there he is, is, is there much of a nutritional difference between beef protein isolate and whey protein? I can't tolerate whey and was wondering if beef protein powder is a good alternative. Yeah, many people can't take whey protein due to the casein content quite often. Casein can still cause intestinal permeability in in people, um, even though, you know, it is highly um, bioavailable. Way more so than, no pun intended, than, than beef isolate. And the reason being that isolate only stays in the body. It's absorbed at a rate of a 10 grams per hour, uh, per hour, but it's only in the body for one and a half hours. So it doesn't matter what volume of an isolate you take, the body only absorbs about 15 grams. <clears throat> now that said, the nutritional profile in a beef isolate is absolutely incredible. Um, and I am making a beef isolate protein, but um, unfortunately funds at the moment are scarce. So it's on the back burner until the new year. But um, but yeah, it, the long and the short is nothing wrong with beef isolate. It just doesn't absorb um it does absorb, it acts too quickly, in fact, that it's out of the body. Uh, it doesn't act in the same way that meat would, if that makes any sense. If you eat a piece of red meat, it takes days for the body to digest and absorb those nutrients, whereas the isolate is just in and out. But um, it is, it's a good, clean option if you can't tolerate um, a, whey, a whey-based protein. That's really good. And Matthew also had a follow-up question uh, for bodybuilding purposes is three to four meals a day better than two gabriel uh lion says the research shows 30 to 60 grams of protein per meal is optimal for muscle building and maintenance she also says everything x anything extra turns to glucose and there is no additional benefit consuming more in one meal no the extra doesn't turn to glucose that's a myth um glu- yep. gluconeogenesis is demand driven uh, it only occurs when the body needs it to. Um, for the same reason, you don't need to consume exogenous glucose or carbohydrate. The body will make any carbohydrate or glucose that it, that it needs. Um, the amount of protein in grams that she referenced is probably about right. Um, I usually go for close to uh, 50 grams from a dietary source as a ballpark figure. But it's the amount of leucine that activates mTOR. And then it gives the anabolic signal. And that's around three grams of leucine. So three grams of leucine is typically six eggs or a chicken breast or, you know, a, a piece of steak. Um, but 50 grams, if you aim for 50 grams from animal protein in general, you should hit the, the three grams of leucine, which is going to elicit that mTOR reaction. The mTOR reset, um, it resets a lot quicker from mTOR than it does through IGF-1 or carbohydrate, for example. Um, when we elicit an mTOR reaction through carbohydrate, it's maintained a lot longer, but it doesn't mean you benefit more. It just means that you may you may experience the downstream deleterious impacts of, of elevated, chronically elevated mTOR, which um, we know through people who suffer with uh, Laron syndrome and things that... Uh, Cancer it is is scarce in them, and it's through this 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 lack of IGF one. So it's ideal to activate mTOR directly, which we can do through leucine. And again, that's three grams of leucine. Um, the mTOR reset is around three and a half to four hours. So optimally, you could activate mTOR through uh, two different processes, but up to four times in one day if you were careful or clever. 
Um, so in theory, we could fast from, say, 8 p.m. until 8 a.m. and then train uh, or do a workout. Working out will activate mTOR directly. So that's one mTOR activation. We could eat a four hours later, four hours after that, and four hours after that again. So technically eating three times in one day, training once without eating immediately after would activate mTOR four times. And four times is the optimal. It um, Any other activations are not going to do anything. Um, but you're not going to miss out if you're only doing two or three mTOR activations. So don't feel that you have to get that third meal in every day. Um, when I was bodybuilding, I would do, I would aim for four, um, but I would quite often accept three because sometimes work and life gets in the way. It's difficult to to hit the gym at specific times and, and eat meals on the go. Um, but even to do it twice, that would technically be a lot more than a standard bodybuilder would elicit an mTOR reaction because they're doing so through carbohydrate constantly, eating every two hours. They'd activate an mTOR typically one to two times in a day, but we can elicit it four times through through living our lifestyle. Um, but three grams of leucine is the key. If I can just butt in there, Rich, I was oh sorry, Steve, I was just gonna just gonna say we had this uh, chat before, Rich, about um, people keeping their mTOR elevated all day and how bad it can p- potentially be for us. Um, so, so, do you want to explain that? Yeah. <clears throat> so this, it's. Basically, the mTOR is an anabolic signal, um, and we need it. We, you know, it, it's been essential for for growth, especially, um, you know, in, in our early ages, as uh, through our teens, through puberty. Um, but we need a balance. So there's there's two components. You have mTOR, which is anabolic, and AMPK, which is catabolic, and they work against each other, almost like a, in a seesaw effect. We need both. The AMPK is is autophagy in in a sense. So that is cellular repair and, and regeneration. It's when the body will clean out the old sick and dying cells. Um, but we can't be in this mTOR activation continuously. And we see this in bodybuilders in America, typically. Yeah. Um, bodybuilder, the average lifespan of a bodybuilder in America is 10 to 15 years lower than the average American whose average lifespan is low anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, it's been blamed on anabolic steroids, but. The research that I've done shows that I, I don't believe that it is. I'm not saying that that isn't a contributing factor. I don't really know enough um, about long-term, uh, you know, abuse of, of, of substances and things. But it, if we look at what they are doing and what we do know from a nutrition standpoint is that they are over-consuming carbohydrate, uh, eliciting this, this uh, insulin resistance, but constantly eliciting this mTOR reaction. You know, they eat... I knew a guy that I used to work with who used to, used to set his alarm to go off every two hours so he would eat yeah. every two hours, even through the night. And that's not good. You can't be breaking your sleep as well. That's when the body's healing and repairing. But, um, you know, it did work to a fashion. You know, he did build muscle. Um, but no, he didn't build muscle any, any quicker than, than anybody else would through, through eliciting it, through, through a low carb ketogenic lifestyle. Carbs don't build muscle. So we can, pull in this mTOR reaction and we can maximize it while benefiting from AMPK or autophagy as a balance because we can fast as well for, for 12 hours um, to 16 hours depending on the mTOR reactions while while doing um, doing it that way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, great. It's far healthier for us anyway, as we know, isn't it? So. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and to do so without listing IGF-1. And IGF-1, I think, is where the, you know, the issue is. It's not so much... <clears throat> the mTOR, 
Yeah. But I think it's this chronic, chronically elevated level of, of IGF-1 of through, through carbohydrate. So how can we help you further? Well, I'm just going to say um, thank you for answering my questions. Um, it's just there's like there's so much um, contradictory information on YouTube and the internet and things like. I do listen to other people that aren't carnivores. I follow someone called Jay Vincent, who is um, sort of into high intensity training, but of course he says that you need carbs to build muscle. And there's doc, uh, Dr. Gabriel Lyon that says what well, I've just basically just you know messaged you guys about um it's just it's just so confusing what to do sometimes yeah and i'm just showing you uh, yeah i'm just going to show you um one study i think there is a lot of this myth about the 30 grams but there was a study where they thought they could prove this um and they were having different uh, weighted people and assuming how much protein they would need. So they had a 120-pound person. And I will admit, in this study, they, they admitted their mistakes and they were very upfront. And they believed that this person would need a, a minimum of 22 grams of protein and the 200-pound person might need a minimum of 36. When they did the study, uh, in both those cases, 40 grams was better than 20. And the study clearly showed that the response of muscle, muscle protein synthesis following whole body resistant exercise was greater following the 40 grams than the 20 grams of ingested uh, protein. And there's a link there. And they concluded that the more muscles you work out and the level of fatigue will mean the more protein you will need. In fact, when they got to the conclusions, they uh, went completely the other way and felt that you could possibly... Um, have a, a carte blanche sort of maximum of 100 grams per meal and they would probably see an elevation of uh, muscle protein synthesis even going above the 40. So there are, there are studies out there. Uh, that document I just showed you on the screen is is one that I sort of pull out for. And there's there's more than one study. There is more than that. Um, and um, another one said the 30-gram myth comes from studies on how much protein is used to grow muscles but missed other factors, how much protein protects against muscle breakdown and increases uh, whole body insulin sensitivity. And I think what, you know, uh, Rich was saying there about mTOR activation. It is more than just you eat a certain amount of protein and your muscles get bigger. There's other things going on. And I think this very interesting thing about protect against breakdown is, you know, incredible, actually. Um, and so, I mean, there there is so many studies that I could show you that all go, you don't need to worry about the 30-gram myth. So... It was a good question, though, Matthew. Yeah. Can I just add? Yeah, I was going to say, I remember you doing a video on YouTube, actually, not so long ago, and I think that's where I've got confused, because I remember you saying that you there was a study saying that you could possibly absorb up to 100 grams per meal, but then I see other people saying 30 to 60, and that. I, I think I'm just going to listen to carnival people now, because it just seems that other people just don't get it right, honestly. I mean, no offence to other people, because there are some very knowledgeable people who aren't carnivores or in the keto space, but it just feels like, because they're not doing a keto or carnival diet, um, I'm not sure they really understand things from, from our point of view. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> people are still in this... Um whole belief system that we need carbohydrate to live we need carbohydrate to build muscle um is my is my screen sharing there now steve yeah, yeah actually yeah so it um i mean this this is taken from one of the the public speaking events that um that i do on uh, athletic performance um and this looked at whether 
the co-ingestion of, of carbohydrate and protein increased muscle protein synthesis and it had no effect. So the additional carbohydrate did not affect or increase muscle protein synthesis whatsoever. Um, and they revealed it was the same with this study and this study after study after study. Um, now, the belief that carbohydrate does elicit more muscle protein synthesis comes from um, uh, people's opinions. Basically, if, if you were to put carbohydrate in, your muscles would appear bigger because of the glycogen water. Um, yeah. And that may even add leverage to make you stronger also. Um, but... When we test this, it's always done on people who are new to carnivore or keto and haven't upregulated specific enzymes and pathways within the body, like the monocoboxid transporters and, and specific, specific enzymes within the muscle that allow the body to utilize ketones for fuel. Um, and once we, once we do that and we upregulate these pathways, um, the body can recycle lactate so the the lactic acid that people say that they feel which it, it isn't lactic acid because lactic acid doesn't exist in the human body but it's lactate but lactate is it's an energy system um and we have the ability to shuttle that to the liver and send it back to the muscle at a higher level than even a carbohydrate acid which means that we can we buffer lactate we don't get the burn, which um, anybody who's been training for long periods of time on, on keto or carnivore will notice that you never get to that point where you feel like your muscles are going to explode. Like, you know, we chase the burn, but the burn shows an inefficiency. Um, and what you'll find is that as you're lifting more and more, you know, say you're doing more curls, you'll get to the point where you just physically can't do anymore, but the burn is, is barely noticeable. Uh, and that's because the body will upregulate. So we'll end up getting more reps out of that. Um, but th this is another study that shows that um, there was greater muscle protein synthesis with the co-ingestion of protein and fat, which makes perfect sense because that's how nature provides us with the protein. Uh, every protein in nature comes with fat. An egg comes with almost equal numbers of protein and fat, a piece of beef, um, salmon, you know, chicken breast with the skin on, all of these things nature gives us come coupled together with with protein and fat, so we need we need the fat. Uh, I'll unshare the screen now, but coming back to the whole volume in the muscle, we we can put glycogen in the muscle, um, and even studies. And I think it is on that study actually on that uh, um, uh, presentation that I was just showing you there a little bit later on, where they tested um, at muscle biopsy level glycogen in muscle stores on keto adapted athletes compared to carb athletes, and there was no difference. <laughs> So even from, you know, a, a carb perspective where we, we could argue that adding carbs is going to add water and glycogen and make you bigger and fuller and add more leverage, um, we can also argue then that as you adapt, um, the body will upregulate these systems and pathways to allow you to upregulate glycogen in the muscles. So we have glycogen. It's, it, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a myth that we don't. But as you've probably noticed from the uh, podcast that I did with Professor Noakes recently, we don't actually need muscle glycogen, not not for not for energy, at least anyway. Um, blood glucose is important, uh, and we need 5 to 10 grams per hour, and that we can obtain comfortably through living a ketogenic carnivore lifestyle and getting through uh, the process of gluconeogenesis, which we mentioned earlier. So we don't need any exogenous carbohydrate, and we can further augment that um, muscle size and that uh, water retention with creatine, creatine monohydrate, because that will pull water into the muscle. Um, and that will, and, and in fact, a lot of the, the increased 
strength gains um, associated with creatine come from the water retention over the creatine itself. Creatine is amazing. It's brilliant for the brain, as Sarah will probably tell you shortly. Creatine is incredible for the brain. So it isn't just for that whole thing about creatine for the meatheads in the gym. It's a lot of rubbish because if you take creatine, then you're probably quite intelligent. Um, but uh, creatine is fantastic for the brain, but it does hold water in the muscle, which will add leverage. And this is why we, you know, we see strength gains on things like creatine. And then with the anabolic steroids, like things like Dianabol, um, people will take uh, anabolic steroids and, and uh, reference huge gains in strength incredibly quickly. They'll go incredibly big. When they stop, they come off all of these, all of this size disappears, all of the water goes, and all the strength goes with it, which means that they, they could not have physically have built muscle within that time because the body treats uh, muscle as being precious. It doesn't doesn't waste muscle. You're not going to lose any potential muscle gain that you, you could have made through through taking that substance if that's what it were in fact doing. But what it is doing is holding water. It's, it's pulling volume into the muscle and giving leverage, which is, is what's actually making people stronger. But we don't need carbohydrate. Uh, and unfortunately, as you rightly say, Matthew, it's... Um, we are in um, a whole world full of people who are wedded to um, carbohydrates uh, for a number of reasons. There's financial gain. Um, these companies that make energy drinks with glucose you know, shots and glucose uh, gels, they, they're not going to sell five or 10 grams of sugar in a sachet because you could just take a sugar sachet, you know? So they tell us that we need 100 grams to 120 grams per hour. Um, and then... There was a, a post recently on Instagram where somebody mentioned that um, uh, you can't build muscle living a ketogenic lifestyle and all this sort of stuff. And I went on with, with a comment, a polite co comment, but heavily evidence-based. And what I had back was a couple of lines of what a load of bollocks. And, well, I've just given you the evidence and, and that's your answer. To my, you know, so it's some people you just can't. People, some people are never going to believe that you know. But no. we, this, this is, I believe, the magic elixir. Um, it is great, though, because I've just had this exact same conversation with the PT in the gym. Because I've, I've um, I came straight from the gym, but uh, but yeah, explaining to him about the glyco and the muscles and uh, the creatine and the water retention going all all the way down. So he's taking it on board. In fairness, and he's asked, every time I go in there, he asks me loads of questions. I said he'll be carnivore soon. I know it, but. Uh, we're converting them slowly, but uh, he is—he's very nutritionally, you know, savvy. So he's the more questions he's asking, he's definitely uh, going to be delving deeper. But it's good—it's good to know that people are taking things on board. That you say because they were, you know, querying as to, you know, why are you lifting this much or why are you doing that? And he's like, why don't you ever get any DOMS or why do you not ever ache um, when I'm because I'm, you know, when you're training twice a day, so. Somebody is explaining it all. Sorry, we've, Steve. Go on. Yeah. Well, we've got a, a message from another member, which is Nick. Um, Matthew there. Uh, are you okay to let me just get this one from Nick in? I was just going to say, does uh, DOMS mean delayed onset muscle soreness? Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself 
for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Yeah. 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 Sorry, you mu- the muscle soreness. Yes, from uh, okay. from training. I just wanted to make sure it did mean something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and never get never get those uh, that muscle soreness. And no, we, we'll go with this type. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to clarify because I mean, this will go out on a playback, and people might not know, and it will go on a podcast. I, I just just before I give you Nick's question, um, I just want to add also we're, when we're talking about absorption of uh, amino acids and adding fat seems to help. That's because you need bile as well to absorb amino acids. Bile isn't just there for for fat, it's there for amino acids as well. And this is why people on fatty meats are quite surprised that they can gain muscle and actually stay quite defined. Anyway, Nick, who kindly joined before everybody else uh, but couldn't get his sound together and also had his picture, um, he's got a question. So firstly, welcome, Nick. I hope you can hear us now. The message, he says, a message for Rich. What's your splits stroke regime when you are doing your bodybuilding? As in training, um, I'm assuming training. Yeah, yeah. So it, I, I tried and experimented with lots and lots uh, over the years. But what I found um, built muscle the quickest, and and this is based on on research and science. So what I'd always try to do is look at the science in regards to everything, and I'm always open to things as well because obviously living our lifestyle, um, it it has taught me that we shouldn't believe any one thing that one source has to say so if if another source were to throw something else into the mix then i would look into that to see if there were any truth in it um if somebody told me that the, a research paper came out that's spinning you know around and around in a circle 10 times until you were dizzy and fell over before training would build muscle quicker you know i i, <laughs> you <tried> it. <laughs> I would i would certainly i'd certainly look at the research you know um I, I, at the end of the day, I do this because I'm trying to be the best per, the best version of myself. Um, and we are in a community where we're constantly up against people who are on, you know, not just carbohydrate but other substances and things as well. Um, so we we're up against it as 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 a as a group. And I always want to prove these people wrong. Now that said, I'm I'm always in pursuit of optimal health. So. I want to be the healthiest and fittest that I can be. Um, but in regards to in regards to the training, what I found worked best was training no longer than an hour. 45 minutes was optimal. Um, I would do specific muscle groups on specific days, but they wouldn't be on set days. They would be on days where I wasn't aching from that that previous session so if if it came up to chest day today but my chest wasn't right then i would train something else um i would do uh rep ranges of 12 to 16 doing eccentric movements so rather than exploding concentrating on the eccentric coming down because we're stronger on the eccentric movement than we are on concentric um and i would that would be like 80 percent of my training and i would go for heavier now and again but later on in in competing, I left I left the concentric um, uh, or too much of the concentric at the door because ego gets in the way, and you want to go in and you know you go into a pack gym and you want to lift a big heavy weight, and then I you know I, I used to injure 
So I, I came away from the big heavy lifts. Uh, most of my work was done on the eccentric movements, but it was 12 to 16 reps, three to four sets per per muscle group. And I would do, you know, three to four movements within that muscle group. Get in, get it done, a minute, two minutes max in between. Sometimes I'd even superset, but bang, as soon as that 45 minutes was done, then I was done. Um, I would push to an hour occasionally, but I would... Um, I'd never go over an hour in the last couple of years because th- when we go over an hour, we elevate cortisol. This affects the adrenals um, and it, uh, it it elevates cortisol to the point where we become catabolic. We end up undoing all of the hard work that we've just spent doing. And for this reason, this is why I wouldn't run just after a weight session. So I wouldn't train weights in the morning and then go for a run immediately after. It would be one or the other. And if I quite often... Um, most of my career was spent on no cardio at all. Um, as most of you know, I'm new to running and cycling. Um, but if I were to do, you know, what did I used to do? The cross trainer now and again. I used to jump on uh, the elliptical now and again, the step mill. Because early on, I was still in that belief system that we need cardio. Uh but two years into training, I stopped all the cardio anyway. Um, more more so to prove a point because I cut. I think it was. Um, I got, how much it was, it was a lot anyway. <laughs> it was a couple of stone that I cut in five weeks uh, to compete in a competition on zero cardio. And I documented it every day to show that, you know, how powerful being ketogenic was. Um, it was well in excess of 30 or 40 pounds that I cut in, in, in five weeks. Um, but it was just to show that I could do it on zero cardio when everyone else competing or coming towards the comp was, was doing they weight training and then 20 minutes of running. And then the next day it'd be, you know, the weight session, 25 and then 30 minutes of running. And they would build up to an hour, hour and a half of cardio every day after doing uh, their weight session. And I managed to strip all of my body fat with zero cardio um, and purely just, just manipulating macros uh, and, and, my, and my training, which I would drop. The weights came right down towards a cutting phase to avoid injury. Um but it was, it was, yeah, it was as simple as that. I used to make sure that I had plenty of protein, always at least one gram per pound uh, of body weight. Uh, the fats I would manipulate, and that's where the cutting would come in. It would, um, there was, not one day was the same when it came to cutting because um, I would go by the, the calipers and later on the body composition machine that I had. Um, but I would, I would manipulate. So when people ask about macro, uh, you know, quantities and things coming into a comp, what would your strategy be? It would change on a daily basis depending on mood, you know, mental focus. Um, because when you cut fat, see, we need fat for the brain. Um, I would find it incredibly difficult to concentrate as Sarah would notice when we were doing Fat Club coming to yeah. the comp one day. I was given a presentation and I, I couldn't even read what was on, on the screen because I was so deprived of, of fat for my brain. But um but yeah, it's uh, there's a, a, a fantastic presentation that I did in um, Sarah's uh, rugby club, as it happens. I say that as if she owns it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I will. I'll pop that into the Mighty Networks after this. Uh, it's a fantastic presentation. It looks at it, all aspects of of training, uh, optimal uh, nutrition, and why you know certain things are not um, not ideal for for bodybuilding or tra- training in general. Fire away, Steve. Well, I just want you to confirm, when you said you were cutting fat, were you cutting body fat or were you cutting eating 
we saw so dietary fat. Oh, cut to cut body fat. I would cut dietary fat. So yeah. basically, I would seamlessly flick the switch from dietary fat to body fat. So I would reduce the amount of dietary fat that I would be consuming in order to to signal my body to to eat more stored body fat, which is why it's there. The difference is that I would take it to an extremity that was not healthy, but you know, these things are not healthy. They're not good for us, but you know, it was fit for purpose. I had a goal that I wanted to achieve uh, and living this lifestyle allowed me to achieve that, uh, you know, and some. Um, I could not... Can I, uh, could, could I put the question to Sarah? Because she's doing a completely different thing, isn't she? You know, the question was from Nick about splits regime for bodybuilding uh, and you just drifted into doing bodybuilding and not running at the same time. Well, Zara's doing a triathlon, which is which is very mixed, isn't it? I wonder if you did. Zara could just touch on her training. Yeah, so it's, it's currently um, obviously a lot of cardio because it's uh, the running, the swimming, the cycling or the high-intensity spinning, um, cycling especially now over the winter. Um, but yeah, I'm also doing um, four strength gym sessions um, a week and three um, like Pilates as well for, for stretching. Um, so I do a mix of everything. Um, so yeah, so I'm probably doing uh, try, probably two things a day um, to try and keep on top of everything, but it'll be a mix of um, gym and cardio but that's because my end goal is triathlon rather than bodybuilding. Um, whereas, obviously, if I was just trying to to build muscle, it would be, you know, more of the gym and less of the cardio. But it's um, it's for next season's races. I'm just prepping now through the winter. That's brilliant. Um, sorry, Rich, I didn't want to, to cut in too much, but I just thought because such a variation in your training, isn't there? when you were talking about bodybuilding and then training for triathlon is basically doing strength and endurance, which is yeah. a tough one to balance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. And it's one that I'm struggling to balance, to be honest. So a lot, a lot of um, my training has been suffering because of work commitments. Um, but that's how I would split is, you know, even doing that, I would try to do, if you were doing strength training and conditioning, do that one period of the day, i.e. the morning, and try to do you know, the, the cardio sort of piece um, at the end or later in that day. Try, try to split them so they're not you're not doing them both in in one in one session for that reason of trying to to keep cortisol uh, a little bit lower. But it does become impossible, especially when you go on like a seven mile bike ride. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.